Namaste. So today we'll go just step by step. Yesterday we just took an overall uh, understanding, overall vision of what it means to align oneself. And we arrived at this uh, understanding that eventually the ultimate alignment is to align to the divine will, the divine purpose, the divine plan within us. Of course, we can play at cross purposes with that will. It is given to man and go through the various consequences in the process because eventually it's not consequences in terms of uh, sin or good or uh, right or wrong, but eventually it's because the original divine purpose carries within a, within it a divine wisdom which is striving to eventually make us divine in one word if you have to put it. Take us to our own very highest possibilities. So when we play at cross purposes with that will, we tend to go further and further away. We tend to struggle. We tend, Even if we succeed outwardly, inwardly we tend to become more and more hollow, incomplete and at some point there is a recoil and a bounce back. So there is a constant reorientation which takes place which can sometimes be very painful. But that apart because pain is not the only issue it is what we are meant for. So let's go step by step in the process that how do we really, uh, you know, we speak about the goal and how do we really begin? So one of the first thing is to begin by becoming conscious. Yes, there are number of forces at play, motives which are hidden. We don't even realize it. Much of our life is led very unconsciously. We speak unconsciously. We uh, act unconsciously. We are driven by various kinds of social forces, psychological forces, forces from other people which impact us, our own forces going into the environment, market forces, desire forces, and number of forces. And we are not even conscious as to what is pushing us, even when we put forward noble motives. But behind these noble motives, there is something which is like a canker. Mother speaks of this uh, worm in the fruit. Ambition. She says it's like a canker which is inside the fruit. So what happens is that you eat it in the beginning you don't realize but as you go deeper this suddenly comes out. There is a worm inside and it tends to spoil, derail, destabilize everything. So the first step is to become conscious. And of course to become conscious we have to first know, read about you know what is this, these forces. In short we can say that whatever leads to uh, before I am speaking of before finding the goal if we have found the goal then we have to only have one thing in mind that what is aligning us to it and what is not aligning us to it but even before that because we start by becoming conscious we see what is helpful in general in our inner progress in the goal that we have placed before ourselves and what is harmful what is helpful in terms of even the general progression of humanity? For instance, it's understood that things like quarrels, things like fighting, disputes, animated debates, they are not going to help us. It's a waste of energy. This is very minimum. And whatever creates peace, whatever creates harmony, light, understanding, unity, that is good. Whatever creates discord, disharmony, disunity, uh, whatever is detrimental to our health, we, we know all these things. And if I am still going for it, why am I going for it? So there's a whole field. And most important in that field is the motive forces. Why are we doing whatever we are doing? So this is the first step. Second is that, uh, you know, this discovery of the goal very often because we don't know the psychic being to start with. So we start with a mental idea. So 
let's pick up the highest mental idea that we have within us. That mental idea could be love. This is what, you know, even with children we can speak about it. Uh, that idea could be love. That idea could be truth. That idea could be justice. That idea could be even something like happiness. Uh, now pick up that idea of perfection or peace and then lift all movements, try to gather it around it. Let's say somebody strives for harmony. Now true harmony can only come with the emergence of the psychic being, with the uh, play of the divine in life. But the fact that one strives for harmony, one keeps that at the focus while one is navigating through life. On the other hand, for somebody else, the idea is justice. So, depending upon that idea, whatever we are doing in life, we start with ensuring that I don't act unjustly and unfairly. And then slowly, wherever there is a cry for justice, I stand for it. So, this is one, one approach. But the interesting part is, you know, when people say, okay, this one goal, what about the divine? The interesting part is, we can, you know, divine is the absolute of whatever we are seeking in life. So, pick up any goal. Ultimately, if we want to lift it to the ultimate height, it will be the divine. Even a thing which where people say that I am looking for happiness. So what kind of happiness? Happiness which is momentarily, happiness which leads to suffering, happiness which spoils our health, happiness which we know is a deception, happiness which is an illusory trap, or happiness that endures and that will last. So if you pick up anything, happiness is one of those, commonly if you ask people what is their goal, they will say happiness. So let's dwell a little further and we'll realize that it's not just happiness, but happiness that can endure, happiness that is permanent, that's what we are seeking. And what is that source of that is divine. Let's talk about love. People in mutual relationship, they say, I want in love, perfect understanding, perfect. They say, love which never fades. Now, why does human love fade away? Precisely because it's not based on this divine presence inside. So if you take love to its source, it is divine. Take knowledge with if somebody says, no, I want like to know things and knowledge is my goal, take a goal like helping humanity, take a goal simply that I want my life to be full. Extremely, one may say that it's a selfish goal, but even there, if we really want our life to be full, then we have to, again, the fullness of life can come only through yoga, where this little half struggling here unites with its full half or the full part, which is the divine. So any which way we take the goal, if we go a little deeper, we'll discover it is the divine. The third thing is that then, okay, if I place before my life, uh, let's say an idea, idea of um, wisdom, and that is my highest idea, and I want to take up everything in along that line, or compassion, um, then what does it mean? It means that we pick up that idea and go to its essence, to its core, to discover what it really is. So, we may spend some time sitting quietly and meditating upon what is truly compassion is. Or we may meditate upon what truly love is. And then when we invest time and energy in that idea, it is a form of concentration. Then a time comes when suddenly the truth of the idea releases itself into us. And the highest idea, as we know, uh, you know, Shobindos reveals to us uh, in his one of his letters of 1916, even we see it in the synthesis of yoga, the highest idea to meditate upon, concentrate upon, is the divine himself. And divine himself, we can again have an idea of the divine who is extraterrestrial, he is not in this life, he is elsewhere, 
or we can have an idea of the divine that he is within me or we can go further and discover that the divine is within all and then we can go still further as is given in the Isha Upanishad that not only the divine is within me and the divine is within all beings but all is the divine. So depending upon how vast and high our idea is, how deep and profound our idea is, we begin to, that truth begins to release in our life. If we have a very limited and narrow idea of God, that means it's written in a particular book which I have to follow, then it may take us very far from the original truth. That's why the mother speaks of the widest possible conception. If we have a very small conception of God, for instance, some people may have a conception that my God is my God and he is the only God and there is no other God and any other path that anybody is following is basically straying away. He is an infidel. Then what happens? This very idea, because it's small and limited and narrow, will not take me very far. It will go to a point and the truth of the idea when it releases itself will be too vast for my littleness to hold. So then people start building all kinds of defenses, thought, explanation to justify that littleness because that vastness is too overwhelming. Some are taken up and I often give this example uh, very freely. Look at you know what happened to Islam. They, there is a whole approach where people took that idea of God as it started in the desert land of Arabia, when it came in contact with India, it entered into a vastness. You know, Sufism was born, Iran and further down. But on the other hand, the same idea, when it was caught by a very narrow, small, bigot bigoted mind, then it turned into a means of destruction. And because people didn't want to enter into that vastness which the idea represented, so they built shields of you know, all kinds of books, interpretations and, you know, Malanas and Malvis. So you don't enter into that vastness. So this is how any idea, it can happen in any religion. All religions can suffer this kind of a thing. But none has suffered in recent times as we see in Islam and none has suffered in previous times as we see in Christianity and Islam almost from the inception. In India, there have been many safeguards. Sanatan Dharma, it starts with this vast idea that God is in all all is in God and you know, all is God. So therefore there is a safety because the idea itself is very, very vast when we speak about the divine. So here also we have to be careful. Then, but then in that case, what about the human representative? So this is the other part that, you know, if that is so, then what is the role of a human representative of the guru, of the master? Doesn't it lead us to a state of fundamentalism? No. It doesn't lead to that. On the contrary, it helps us to liberate. And that's where we have to understand. Because when we speak about the divine, what do we really mean by the divine? The mind cannot concentrate on something which it has no idea, no image. We need an image. So very often people have an image of light or a fire, something like that to go within, to focus on. Or they have image of a deity from one of the uh, scriptures. Or... For the completeness, you have the image, the divine himself becoming human as the human representative. Now the advantage there is that unlike when we focus on the flame or a fire inside or even a beautiful flower, it doesn't matter what, what represents for you the divine. Absolutely, it could be a slab of stone. That's not important because divine is in all things. So if we focus on that, then eventually the truth within will release itself. So that image is basically a means to start focusing. And that image is primarily a mental image. When people speak about idolatry and they try to, you know, iconoclast, they try to destroy, uh, you know, outer images. Well, you may destroy all the images in the world or all the, um, you know, murtis. But how are you going to take away this mental image within man? 
So it is absurd to you know do that. One has to understand what the image represents. So when we go to the guru who is embodiment of the divine, now the big advantage is that not only my mind inwardly when we concentrate within, but also outwardly to my outer senses, to my outer mind, leaving aside the you know wealth of guidance that can come directly to the outer consciousness. Because if we turn within, seek guidance, then. the mind can play 100 tricks but when we have a master in whom we can completely trust and his word it makes a lot of difference of course i am speaking of a realized master so if one has an outer guru one is very very fortunate because not only then one can uh, participate even the senses can participate in the process but also one can receive a kind of guidance which is necessary for the outer mind and that's one reason why i see uh, you know for the first time it has happened in the entire history of spiritual history see if you see the spiritual books so of course the vedas are there which are experiences of uh, the great yogis and rishis then the gita is there which is a scripture which is written wonderful book in 700 shlokas packed with all that is required for this journey one needs nothing else just carry the gita as a handbook and it it carries you through even one shloka or two shloka and little bit of practice can liberate then we have these religions which have a book uh, which have come after many hundred years and so there are all kinds of you know whether it was directly spoken not spoken things which have got mixed up now we have madran shubindo who have written in great length printed guidance for every little single detail of life so it's very unfortunate that we don't uh, really read it they have made it so easy for us so while it is true that you have to go inside and discover the divine will because it's not like a rigid dogma or a doctrine that i have read this in mother says so and shubindo says so but at least it gives us some very basic beautiful fundamental understanding of what life is and if we really want to move towards goal any goal we can take up any sutra for example when shubindo you know speaks on the chapter of self consecration about realizing the divine he says in this as in any other sphere of outer life any other sphere of life success comes if you stay concentrated on the goal now this is a fundamental truth he is giving us a sutra you want the divine then it won't do that okay divine is a past time he is like you know okay uh time to time when i have little time i will sit inside and seek the divine but rest of my life i will allow to be just as it is if the divine is the goal similarly if we have another goal now whatever goal if we want to really succeed we have to reach that point and we have to actually arrive at it in uh, you know through a process of um uh, understanding that our whole concentration and focus has to be on that and that alone which means essentially that if we really are committed to this process then we can't have two goals see life offers varied activities which will just we'll just speak about but goal has to be one it cannot be that you know i want god also i want my family also i want my relatives also i want my work also i want to shine there also i want to shine here also in the process one shines nowhere so goal has to be one other things have to be aligned to that goal and that's where the, the very interesting question yesterday uh, very beautifully has been asked that see the divine is in the heart so we have to seek him in the heart so what does it mean does it mean that whole day i sit in trance and find the divine within and leave the outer life or when i go into outer life it gets divided so how do i lead my outer life to really 
डज इट रियली हिंडर लेट स्टार्ट विद दैट क्वेश्चन डज इट हिंडर और डज इट हेल्प इन इन दिस प्रोसेस इट कैन डू आइदर डिपेंडिंग ऑन दी एटीट्यूड विद विच वी अप्रोच इट एंड आउटर लाइफ इज एज इम्पॉर्टेंट एज सीकिंग द डिवाइन विद इन द हार्ट द मदर सेज इन वन ऑफ अर ब्यूटिफुल प्रेयर दैट आउटर लाइफ इज द एनविल it makes our nature supple otherwise the nature is normally very resistant we don't even realize we sit and go inside and we can't go inside it takes years sometimes minimum months to just practice sitting quietly and going inside why is it so because going from surface consciousness within there are zones and zones and they will not allow us the mind will be discursive the moment we shut our eyes whole ramayana and mahabharata of a little personal life will start the moment we shut our eyes the heart will start craving for this or that suddenly paradoxically even the vital will become restless you may not have seen the cell phone for one hour but that is the time you'll start you know becoming sensitive to the slightest ring to the little vibration and all these things will begin to start playing upon us so outer life and the way we lead it is as important in fact in certain sense more important than this inner um you know inner focusing so what does it mean it means let's say we have now let's zero in and it is true of everybody's life see if you want to arrive at success in just your profession there are people who sacrifice their family life we don't say that you know they you are doing something wrong people who want to make money they go outside they earn a lot of money and they sacrifice their personal pleasures they sacrifice their family they sacrifice unfortunately uh, you know the greatest goal the divine and because they are into that then only anything worthwhile can be achieved so how do we proceed if god is our goal if the divine is our goal so first of all in outer life we have to remove all other motives i am doing the work normally we do the work for satisfaction of ambition for getting praise for you know expanding our social circle for getting wealth for some result or the other and when this result doesn't come we are disappointed so the first thing that the gita enjoins is nishkam karma so we do the work but no more for fruits that will come next step is this work is not only done in a you know nishkam karma is not okay i don't it doesn't matter i'll just go there sit in my office sign in differently some register because how does it matter it's a field of illusion now the next step is that the work becomes for me a means of service to the divine so when i sit in my office when i see my patient when i give a talk or when i am a listener all these are various activities when i am eating the food it's my means of serving the divine so i have to do it well because well imagine you know you are reporting to the boss the biggest boss <laughs> he is the biggest friend of course so i am reporting to him so it doesn't matter then if we take this attitude after some time it will not matter whether people will praise us or criticize us but within we will know that today i have done this work as a service to the divine or i have done it to get praise accolades money etc and outer life will offer many situations to show us like a mirror so some day somebody will come and say doctor you are um, fantastic and that time i say yeah, yeah i know i mean i need one need not say but inside one feels top of the world now what has happened you may have felt a transient thrill but basically you have deviated from the purpose it was not your purpose to get praise you the purpose was to serve the divine then similarly somebody comes and criticizes you are no good and you feel down see he doesn't know my worth whereas actually the only person in this whole creation who can ever judge anyone and no one's worth is the divine is the divine is the divine no human opinions are worth their salt the day we understand it life will be lot 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 more easier
and then what does the divine do he doesn't judge he corrects what needs to be corrected so he is not like a judge you know oh this fellow is worthless for the divine we are himself do you say to yourself i am worthless <laughs> it's absurd so when the divine looks at us he doesn't look at us as other than himself that's how we look at the divine because it's like a finger doesn't know it is part of the whole body the body knows the finger is part of it so when the divine looks at us he doesn't look at this fellow worth condemning send him to internal damnation if he sends us to eternal damnation he has to go there <laughs> he has no choice <laughs> mother says this my child if you plunge below i plunge with you i don't sit on the shore and watch the drama so for the divine every little element of creation is himself when you look at life from that aspect there is hope for everybody not only hope is constantly struggling literally struggling because we are saying no 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 we we want to refuse we want to hide behind nice beautiful things you know i am doing a good job this is mother has said you know all life is yoga ashurvinda has said behind 101 things mind will give excuses the ego can wear specious masks and yet we have to hold on to that one truth no work is only means to serve the divine next level is when we start with this idea that this work is a means to serve the divine how do i serve not only through perfection now i have to call the divine every moment in life so then next step is remember and offer as often as we can before starting of the work the work can be as small as you know there is no small work actually but we are simply walking up these stairs okay we are going to the office offer it to the divine sit on the chair offer it to the divine mother this is your chair basically yeah? don't make me believe that is my chair you know people get so attached to chair so <laughs> it's your chair tomorrow if it is pulled away you have decided some plans for me so every day when we sit on the chair or on the ground or stand as a watchman anything we should know the divine has placed us here so remember and offer then the job is done let's say you know you are cooking a vegetable in the house cook it pray that may in the hands the culinary capacities of mother lakshmi and mother parvati comes in the hands you know in jagannath puri the prasad is made and it is said it is this prasad is inspired by mother mahalakshmi similarly the kheer in kailash is made by goddess parvati so we should aspire that may in my hands may the divine run through my hands i am not saying don't read culinary books and all that goes on nowadays you know it's become fashionable this is the way foodies are changing organic this that whatever i am not debating the truth or uh, this about it but just offer it to the divine and pray that you work through my hands when i cook let it be you who cook cooks through me so through the practice then when it is over gratitude that ma this food i am offering to you see this was there in built within the indian culture it was inbuilt i remember as a child before dishes were prepared it was like you know you cleanse the uh, chauka the kitchen and it was a way of you know the fire was lit there was a prayer and then when you did then people whatever cooking was done um, it was offered to god then the first roti will go to this the second to that finally you get to sit and enjoy the meal 
so it's not like you know fast food restaurant where you go and you pay a, you know you see the menu card you see how many dollars you pay the bill and you get the thing and with a smile on the waiter's face no that's why there is a much much difference even today between the food that a mom cooks or a dad cooks uh, you know than the food which one gets in a hotel because that's the consciousness which is different so in everything we have to bring in this aspect of offering remembering and offering step 3 then what happens is step 4 when we start doing it after a while we will experience that it is no more us but the divine takes up the work we will not feel fatigue we will get a energy we will get enthusiasm we will start feeling a joy within there will be love in whatever we are doing so this step 4 and when we are doing all this with this idea of divine in the center and then when there is a moment you know what will happen through that period you are longing that oh when will i get some moments when i'll sit and be with my beloved because you are all the time thinking of that you know this happens when you are preparing a dish for somebody whom you love very much and then after everything is done you have taken a nice bath you have prepared yourself now you are waiting that oh now the loved one will come and i'll feed so that should be the attitude in life that when we have done all this and whenever we get a little time it's not like people this if i don't respond to this call don't let people feel bad it's okay otherwise one will be all the time divided at the end of the day none of them will accompany us as they say in the scriptures <laughs> they will only say four fellows who will carry us they will say ram nam satya now even that is gone the horse van will come pick us up and others who are left behind some will say good riddance some will say where is the will some will say wo photo lao abhi sajana hai and after 3 4 days when all this is done they have forgotten they are all with their life but the eternal companion who accompanies us from life to life from death to rebirth sometimes i really feel we don't even care we are bothered about what people will think let them think they will think you are crazy fine good for us if you th- if they think you you are crazy they will start shunning you so sometimes it's good <laughs> and you will have time to sit for your beloved sit and concentrate that's what meditation is about meditation is not a technique or a process it should come naturally and when we lead an outer life focused on the divine then when we think when we sit down all our consciousness which was focusing on the divine in countless ways suddenly will gather inside we don't have to do anything it's so effortless and then we will go within why because now it's the lover's chance he says okay you did things for me now i am going to pull you inside because i love you i am also waited for you you know when good couples sign of good couples i mean don't take it seriously ha huh? but one of them is well, there are some indicators when both are working together in the kitchen good sign another is if one is working and uh, not only kitchen by the way ha huh? in every sphere of life kitchen is an old fashioned thing but one is when one is working inside and the other is sitting outside he cannot enjoy what he is doing unless the other person participates so the tendency is why don't you come oh look what i am watching why don't you come why don't you come why don't you come if you see that this is missing and he is busy happily watching his own whatever cricket match or television and you are doing your chores know that some inner disruption has taken place i am sorry to give these subtle indicators but uh, this is true you know because otherwise you want to be in the company of one whom you love so it's not only we who love the divine much more than us the divine loves us 
And imagine he has waited for centuries and millenniums for a moment when we'll think of him and say, Hey God, I love you. There is no formality. There is nothing like I must read this scripture with this sacredness, this pine bolt straight. Just love, plunge into love. And you will see that divine starts pulling us. And we will see concentration meditation will become so easy. So simple, effortless. If somebody says, how do you concentrate? You will say, I don't know. I just know how to love. And then, what will happen? The more we love the divine, the more this meditation becomes, even conventional meditation. One cannot do it as a technique and a process. The divine doesn't care about it. There has to be love, even love for the seeking, love for that jnanam, anantam, love for that impersonal. Of course, impersonal doesn't respond to our love because that's how we look at the divine. Love for that cosmic, that universal, that transcendent, call it whatever. Love for that which we don't understand and yet want to be. It is that love which should be the driving force behind any goal. If we are not able to put love which means our heart into the goal, that means we are not really ready for that. Or perhaps it is not meant for us. So when we put love, there is joy. There should be joy in seeking for the divine. It's not a, you know, we are seeking the source of bliss. How can we go to him with a latka over face and, you know, say, I have come, God, so much, you know, life was so disappointing. You know what, what did you do? Such a mess and complaining. So he'll say, you know what, you don't need me. I'll send you Chitragupta. He's the one who manages these affairs. So when you go to him and suddenly you will lift your eyes and say, instead of divine, it is Mr. Chitragupta. So he'll say, what are you doing? Oh, you were complaining, grudging all the time. So what will you tell me? I'll tell you that, you know, it is not God, but you responsible for it. So he'll open his register, Bhagu Samhita. His computer has everything, Chetra Gupta, you know, he has documented every little passing thought, feeling, even we were not aware. And he has noted all those things on his computer. Powerful chip, huh? That camera, which is CCTV, which is all the time inside. So he'll click button and you'll say, oh my God, this is me? Yes. You are not conscious. But still you are so fortunate that the Lord had come. Since you started only this, so he said, okay, you first deal with Chitragupta. If you are satisfied, <laughs> he will satisfy your queries because God doesn't keep record of all this. For him, love. When he loves, he embraces and gives everything. He forgets everything else. Oh, you are a sinner. You are a virtuous man. These ideas are outdated. Just love God. Is it so difficult? Or love at least the goal. Love the divine. Love at least the goal that we have chosen, whatever it be. Then there was this question that, you know, so it's so much easier when you have a human representative, no? Otherwise life remains divided. Okay, I love um, divine inside, but somebody in flesh and blood. <laughs> so he said, okay, I have come in flesh and blood. That's why the bhakti for Krishna, for Shurabindu, for Lord Rama endures. Whereas seekers of Brahman who only close their eyes and sit inside a few and far between, they are in the caves or sometimes they step out. Because it's not natural for us. We are embodied beings. We are not disembodied beings that we have an inner being which will love and outer is follows its own way. So that's why the presence of the divine is in embodied form. It doesn't matter whether he is presently there or not. Like see Krishna. But it endures. It has that power of captivating our entire being. Which a concentration on God as Brahman doesn't have. Because the human mind will start wondering, oh Brahman. Now that's where we come to that other question. What is the right condition provided, or what is the right kind of concentration? Shurabindu has made a remark that, you know, omnipresent reality we must concentrate upon. And then he says it should be the right kind of concentration. 
So what is that right kind of concentration? Now imagine I am concentrating on omnipresent reality. So what happens? The mind will immediately start. What is meant by omnipresent reality? Is he there, here, everywhere? Is he watching? Now this is the outer mind's um, way of approaching this reality. The outer mind works like that. Whereas there is a another way of approaching this reality is that just the essence of it. It's not like is he gazing through the wall? Oh, is he is he watching over my food? Oh, no, no, I must, mustn't eat it because, you know, he's watching over me and he will judge me. This is a wrong kind of concentration. The right kind of concentration is this reality is like a wonderful, immense splendor which is there and which is surrounding me, surrounding this creation. It's too immense, too wonderful. And it's there within me. It is there in the core of everything. That presence. So, the answer so beautifully, one of the letters to Sri uh, Shurabindo um, said one, only one rule he gave to the sadhaks. Later on people added this rule, that rule. Mother also was not in favor of giving rules. So what are those famous four rules? I have already spoken about it elsewhere. But mother also says I am not in favor of giving rules. Because the moment you bring rules, you bring hypocrisy. You see in olden times, parents gave certain rules. So children knew how to put a nice facade and do everything else. So the moment you give a rule, Human beings tend to indulge in hypocrisy. She doesn't want that. Whatever we are, we are. So the only rule he gave is live always as if you were under the eyes of the Divine Mother. It is her presence which is all around us. Do nothing. Try to think and feel nothing which will be unworthy of her presence. Live always as if. So somebody asked her. Now you see the right and wrong concentration. Somebody asked her, does the Mother know everything about us? What we are doing, obviously the consciousness behind the question is that all my secrets known to her. So Shivindu replies with his sense of humor, including what Lloyd George had for his breakfast today. Is she keeping track on like, you know, am I indulging today in puris, chola, samosa and she will put a pin there, this fellow, indulgent fellow. No, that's not how she operates. That's not how the divine operates. When it is said essence, it means the consciousness. Of course, he clarified further that if she wants, she can know. To those whom she has taken fully, who have become so much full of her, she will know every little detail of your life. But not again as a judge and a monitor. But as a most benevolent, wonderful, as she herself used the word, benevolent dictator. <laughs> Somebody came and said, oh, you have to listen to mother, you have to obey the mother. What is this? You know, is she a dictator? And mother was sitting there. So, the disciples started becoming, you know, uncomfortable. How can you say she so much love? After all, why is she saying all this? Because of love. Any, any mom, any friend will tell us that, you know, this path will lead to it's dangerous. That's all she's saying. She's not condemning us. She's not judging us. She's not, you know, uh, putting a list of moral blacks and whites and ticks and crosses around. No. Like any other person who loves you deeply will tell you. If his friend does not tell you that what you are doing is going to take you towards the abyss, then he's not really a friend. He's just has vested interest. So, uh, this was asked to her that, you know, whatever, we, we have this idea that, but what she does is, she picks up that state of consciousness and corrects it within. 
and she takes charge of the consequences she goes on to say this much that when you have offered yourself to me then i take the charge of all that consequences which will come up so when the person said to the mother oh are you a dictator imagine and mother doesn't get angry peter disciples are feeling so she smiled and said well the divine is a benevolent dictator if you like what is meant by benevolent dictator he understands everything but if it comes to that you are being pushed hard towards the abyss he'll catch you which mother will not catch one child if she sees the child is going to hurtle and jump inside the abyss if she does that then she is not the mother so she will see she will give you freedom everything is fine but does freedom mean that you know the person will do anything and mom will say it's okay you go enjoy life be cool about it she will try to she will she will be much more pained to see the child taking to a path which is devious so she will at one point say a child takes to drugs which mother will not stop the hand and pull the child back so when she sees that this is going too far then the benevolent part adds up to the dictator means she pushes that will saves you you may feel bad about it she is not bothered that time you may say what mother why are you snatching away from me what i cherish <laughs> she will smile <laughs> she says it's okay <laughs> come my child she will just embrace us that time we don't want but she will still embrace us and after some time we are soothed with the caress sleep in her lap she gives us that wonderful milk and we are fine so this is how life has to be aligned inwardly and outwardly we can't go within if outward life we are tied to 100000 strings you see when in upanishads it's mentioned very beautifully what is the pain of death is death painful or not if you are attached to life it is extremely painful and upanishads explains it technically and it says the being is in the heart is tied through a hundred and one strings it literally says nadi shata ek something like that so hundred and one strings it is tied and on top of it we make more strings already it is tied to this part that part is a subtle engineering of our nervous system they are subtle nerves they enter into the gross nerves and through these nerves it ties the whole body look at you know the nervous system it wires our body hard wires so the nervous system will respond to certain things not respond to something else that's how we are hardwired on top of it now nervous system has wired our brains to act in certain ways what are those ways natural attachment for somebody who is near us we use the word near and dear ones why not far and dear one nervous system is wired like that it's very unfortunate so then what happens the nervous nervous system is wired as now we also throw tentacles and further more attachments so at the end day end of the day when whoever comes pulls us because it says well this is not life life will begin now real life no 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 the more we are attached the more we suffer this is the pain of death so while we lead life amidst everything stay focused on the goal a certain degree of inward detachment is necessary if we succumb to every cry and call from everywhere then we can forget about the inner life or any goal for that matter the life will just flow as it has to flow till one day we will be shown a telegram that sir your time has come and then we'll say can can you wait for my great grandchild to be born and then that fellow will tell no sir that time is fixed 
But if you have lived for the divine and the telegram comes, you will say, tell him, he is nobody. I wait for mother's orders. Because all my life I have lived with the mother's orders. When she tells me, come, even in the midst of all activity, I will say, hippie purra. Who won't be happy to go and meet her? So this is the difference between a life which is aligned to the truth, to the divine within and a life which is led by all kinds of desires, fancies, engaged in toys. This doesn't mean this is illusion. No, it is not. Its purpose is to manifest the divine. But unfortunately, we have forgotten it. Whatever be the reasons, I am not going into that. That's a whole talk by itself. And because we have forgotten, suffering and pain comes to realign us. If in our life there is only pleasure, know that divine has forgotten you for the moment. In Asur Nagri, there was everything except Rama. Know that he has forgotten us. But then comes a time when we pain and suffering aligns us back. This is not giving me happiness. It reminds us. It's like that bitter taste that comes after a sweet fruit. That sense of poison. Shubhidu compares these two lives in this way. Since in ordinary life, when you drink it, in the beginning it is very sweet. But as the cup becomes emptier and emptier, you feel the taste of poison. Also you say, oh my God, it's going to finish. Whereas in yogic life, it tastes bitter in the beginning. Self-effort, self-mastery, trying to master our thoughts, our feelings, our reactions, reaction is, is difficult. No doubt. After all, we must understand the garima of the goal, the greatness of the goal. So it is bitter in the beginning, but as the cup becomes emptier and emptier, it becomes sweeter and sweeter. Because you know what do we find at the end of the cup is none else but the divine. So that's how we have to lead life. It's not an illusion. It is a manifestation of the divine. And we are given this extreme privilege, unlike the animal world and below, to consciously participate in the manifestation. The manifestation will be with man or regardless of man. Dolphins, one more series of evolution, six pralayas. For nature it means nothing, millions of years. We think in those terms, oh my God, one lifetime, what is going to happen, who is going to get elected. For nature, million, billion years is nothing. She plays like a toy. But it is a privilege given to man. Not only a privilege, Shurabindra and the mother assure us that the time has come now. Now is the time when those who can take the leap of faith and are ready to put in a sincere effort just to say, yes, I want this. Now is the time that the leap is going to take place from man who is a very imperfect, incomplete, partial, distorted manifestation of the divine to the being of the new creation, the new being, the supramental being, the superman as an intermediate being who will become a more and more beautiful, true and powerful, harmonious expression of the divine. At first, this expression will be within, in terms of consciousness, its motives, its ways of functioning. And the next step will be a change in the very instruments, in the very body, so that even the body shall remember God. Thank you so much. And now we can have question answers. Good morning, Dr. Alok. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Uh, I'm Prakash. Now, yes. I have a question. In fact, I have two questions. Yes. Uh, one question is, uh, 
know, we, we hear of this Prakriti and Purusha, Purusha and Prakriti. Purusha is spirit yeah. and Prakriti is supposed to be matter, also says Prakriti is nature. Yes. So I'm not very clear what is the relationship between these two. Purusha and Prakriti, yes. Oh, yes, very good question. Shall I first take this up? Okay, Purusha and Prakriti relation should be wonderful, beautiful it should be. But unfortunately it is not because just like in any other life, there are three. The, the marriages are a, supposed to be a reflection of that. The divine presence is in all. But there is a feminine aspect and there is a masculine aspect of the one presence. So, men are supposed to represent, now I will come to the Purusha Prakriti in its origin, the masculine side which is more ideative. Intellectual, whereas women are supposed to represent the feminine side, which is more emotional, which is more intuitive, and which is more all the entire organization is by that feminine power, the Ishwara and Shakti. Now, when is the relation not congruous and harmonious? When the two are they don't love each other, one goes one's own way and the other goes one's own way. Whereas when the two are harmonious with each other, perfect understanding, perfect rapport. They both are dancing together, Bharat Natyam. But if one is dancing the, you know, what is that, salsa, and the other is doing Kathakali, you see what is going to happen. So unfortunately, the Purusha is the soul within us, and the, the it's not just the soul, soul is the central Purusha within, but also the mental witness, the the vital witness, the physical witness means they are the ones who receive the light from the soul and they want Prakriti to be in a certain way. But Prakriti says, I want to learn salsa and I am going to do it my own way, with my own whatever. So then what will happen? The relation will be discordant. Prakriti is actually a, an extension of the Purusha. It's the light of the Purusha which extends. You know, when Prakriti is absorbed back, even when you take the Sankhya doctrine which from where Purusha and Prakriti comes, it says that at the end, Prakriti gets absorbed, Samahita, in the Purusha. That's the end. So she has emerged from the Purusha and she has emerged to express what the Purusha carries within himself. Nothing to do now with man and woman. But the Prakriti must manifest what the soul chooses. And if it manifests, life is wonderful. But Prakriti is also has its own, her own freedom, her own vastness. It may express it. Or it may not express it. It may not manifest it. It may go its own way. It's there with the cosmic Prakriti. And of course Prakriti itself comes from in the Ishwara and Shakti there is a perfect in tandem complete union. So there is no discordant note. But in lower nature there is a sense of separation because of the play of forces which, um, which uh, James was alluding to. So if the Prakriti is of a very inferior nature let's say of a very asuric kind and the soul for some reason it has you know a little more awakened soul which has entered into this formulation for whatever reason then there will be a lot of chaos or because the soul has been upgraded but the nature is still struggling with the inferior nature and doesn't want to give up so there will be an inner struggle so prakriti must keep getting upgraded along with the soul within and that's why works are so much indispensable along with going within. Because works are a means through which we upgrade. We observe our motives, we observe that where we have been truly humble, where we are egoistic. Now it's like the same thing like good resolutions inside but the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. So this is the relation. Prakriti is the expressing force 
and it builds instrument to express what the soul within has chosen or aspires for so prakriti is the force and the instruments are the means which prakriti organizes so that the will of the purusha can express itself but if it does it beautifully wonderful if it doesn't then many things can happen the purusha the soul element can even leave nature field of nature and go away it happens in sudden deaths like that or there may be too much pressure on the prakriti because of the light of the purusha growing within which can create a disturbance and turbulence all kinds of possibilities are there or if it is beautifully aligned it is directly related to the alignment then it receives the light of the purusha and slowly undergoes a change and that's the best case scenario best is where knowledge of the purusha and the will inside prakriti they are beautifully and harmoniously together then there is perfect alignment whose only template we find in our scriptures are two or three one is radha krishna another is shiva and parvati perfect alignment even when they have differences outwardly inwardly they are perfectly aligned both stand for dharma and even when shiva is doing tandava parvati understands what it means and she does lasya to create a new creation because she knows this creation must go so this perfect alignment we have this between purusha and prakriti in the scriptures and if you want to know a living someone right in our own life then we have two examples one of shri ramakrishna and mata sarada very beautifully aligned to each other and of course if you go still further because shri ramakrishna was far more realized then we have between shurabindu and the mother this is the ultimate penultimate if you want to see the perfect alignment because they are ishwara and shakti so we see shurabindu even before he doesn't have to say anything to the mother to do it you see hardly anywhere and yet she was all the time manifesting what is inside him perfectly she knew everything about what he would i'm i'm using a human language what is his will what does he think what does he want and right from the time she comes he starts that manifestation not once shurabindu had to say not once that why are you doing this he knew it so beautifully there letters when people ask shubindu she says the mother knows perfectly what she is doing and what she is doing is the right thing because he knew that she is so completely aligned to truth which shubindu brought within himself so that is the ultimate and i do believe in future this will be the relation between inwardly between the developed soul which has crossed the boundaries of ignorance and the supernature which will embody and between the masculine element and the feminine element which will come changed in its diviner version diviner edition in nature deluxe edition <laughs> okay so next question prakash uh, about this only about what you said i just want a uh, thing to ask like uh, we say purusha is uh, spirit and uh, prakriti is matter is it true no no that's one way to look at it prakriti bases itself on matter so purusha can be called as pure consciousness and yes all matter prakriti is actually literally it means that which creates and uh, everything in motion is prakriti in the isha upanishad uh, the relation is described so beautifully isha vasyam idam sarvam so isha is who is the lord and prakriti is described as yat kincha jagatyam jagat so jagatyam jagat is gati all that is in motion mind with its thought is in motion it is prakriti 
the vital which is ever restless desires all this is prakriti jar tattu atoms are in motion electrons are in motion is prakriti whatever is in motion is prakriti and whatever is stable purusha is the stable basis shiva's breast over which kali's dance takes place uh, so prakriti manifest things in terms of time the dance of kali but yes it is generally also used that you know material nature because certain disciplines do not take into cognizance the mind and the vital because upon earth they manifest on the basis of matter so we have the perfect union of shiva and material nature in the shivlingam so that's because they say that material nature that would be a more correct term because on earth which is where we are concerned with every force has to manifest through matter even the vital energy even when it is not expressed physically will use some mechanism within our body the heart or brain or the nerves the limbic system thought it has to use some material basis even spiritual energy if it has to express itself has to use material basis so in that sense we can say that well uh, purusha is pure spirit whereas um, formless spirit whereas all form not just material form but here it's basically on the basis of matter all form is the action of prakriti so material nature we can say spirit and matter in that sense but essentially all that is in motion is prakriti right yeah next question if we can t- can I ask a second question i mean i am fine with any any question from anywhere yeah <laughs> Okay, so now, uh, if others have to ask, I don't want to dominate too much, so that's why I asked. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Most welcome. Okay, uh, the Divine Mother, when we refer to the Divine Mother and the Mother, Haan. are both the same or how is it like? Yeah, yeah, both are same. The Divine Mother and the Mother, they are one and the same. Normally what people refer, now it also depends on what people, now people normally refer as the Mother, the form or the embodiment. but the embodied mother holds within herself her own two vaster ways of existence as shubindo puts in that famous booklet the mother the one whom we adore as the mother is the consciousness and force of the divine so she holds within herself her own transcendent and universal aspect you know is uh, kabir put it so beautifully about rama same applies to all the avatars that ek ram dashrath ka beta there is a ram which is the son of dashratha he is known as the son of dashratha ek ram hai jagat pasara there is another which is universal who is spread all around ek ram ghat ghat ka vasi there is another ram which is present in each atom of existence ek ram hai sabse nyara the transcendent one but all these together are embodied in the uh, rama as an avatar so this is what the avatar represents he is the embodiment of the divine consciousness which is there at all different levels the transcendent and the universal but each avatar brings something new into this creation that is the significance so while the mother as the embodiment carries within herself universal and the transcendent mother it does not mean therefore if we turn to the world mother within us we will be practicing the yoga of transformation it won't happen because the same world mother has taken a human body to activate a new consciousness upon earth so this subtle distinction we have to understand otherwise they are one and the same world mother can grant us liberation if we turn within but if we want to seek the yoga of transformation then it is the embodiment through which the divine has brought out yes i have i have a question hello hello 
Hello? Yes, I can hear. Yeah, I'm Sukumar. I have a question. Yes, please uh, tell me. Yeah. See, we often come across our close relatives and friends. We see them suffering on account of serious illnesses. And some of our close relatives are passing away. Uh, untimely demise. Uh, so, in those, uh, uh, those times, we get upset. We take mm-hmm. a lot of time to recover ourselves. Uh, especially when we see people suffering from serious Okay, so basically the cause of suffering is it, you know, uh, so putting very briefly, there are so many uh, times, you know, we have spoken about it, but it's worth uh, understanding again and again, because it is uh, so common. So as I was saying something um, in the talk itself, that suffering comes to realign us. It is not inflicted by God. It is not a punishment. God doesn't indulge in punishment. As I said, whom will he punish? When my finger is supposing not well and I take it to the doctor and the doctor has to do a little nick to remove the abscess, would I say I am punishing the finger? Finger may feel the pain and more than the finger, I feel the pain. But it is not a punishment, it is a treatment. So we can say that pain and suffering are a treatment to prevent us from Uh, Not only not fulfilling the purpose for which we are, you know, born, but from going far into the abyss. So when we look at life, so this is what is consequences. Somebody takes drugs and then one suffers. Now what is this suffering? Initially it was pleasurable. Now imagine if a drug does not make you suffer. There is no hangover. That's a far more dangerous drug. Because some people think it's a good drug. Because what will happen? You will keep going into it, going into it till you will end up. You know, people with cannabis abuse, this is what happens. With alcohol, unless it starts giving hangover. Cigarette, because by the time suffering comes, you have gone way beyond any corrective. Same with LSDs. Now, whereas there are drugs which will immediately make you suffer. Because you get hooked on fast and the moment. Now that's the time you are given chance to choose. But where there is no suffering, there is no choice. You are just going, slipping into it. I mean, more people die of uh, cigarette smoking. Because you don't realize that this is something which is harming our lungs. Doctors say it is written, but you don't realize it. Till it actually, you know, x-ray picture and something or the arteries are blocked, uh, So this is how suffering is a corrective. Actually, it is a benevolence. It is the same aspect of the divine which which we can call. It is one form that compassion takes. One form that mercy takes. Of course, the divine doesn't want us to take that aspect. That's why Shobhinda and the mother constantly speak of the sunlit path. And that is the reason why all the avatars have come. Christ will say, I am the path and I am the way. I will redeem you of your sins. Now, what is it? He is saying, I am willing to bear it, but you just turn to me with utter abandon. What does Sri Krishna say? Sarva dharman parityaja mamekam sharnam raja aham tva sarva pape bhyo mokshi shami masucha. Mother and Shurabindu, what does Shurabindu say? Mother is the goal, mother is the path. They speak about the sunlit path. But there is something in man, in man's somewhat something dim, disturbing lips, which resists the light, which betrays the call, which is not faithful to the light and it is because of the inconscient the divine understands it so he doesn't blame human beings even for that he is constantly working upon the inconscient and the subconscient 
to cure it which is what this yoga is about but still in the process some suffering will come let's take it like that that one is caught up in a a little bird is caught up in a uh, bush which is full of thorns and now you know it it's in a kind of comfort zone where uh, thorns are not touching it now how do you relieve its its predicament the bird says let me you know live within i am not suffering but the person outside says but you are not fulfilling you have to fly but say no i don't care about flying just give me food here so there are people who will provide food inside that little bushy thing and the moment the bird tries to fly she gets thorns pricking into it so one day the master says okay i will come and rescue you so the master comes so when he tries to rescue you you have to trust completely if you say master are you sure do you think there is a better world out there how do i trust you maybe you will take me and uh, you know make me a meal all these things may come up so first thing is when the master comes to rescue the bird has to trust now what happens if the bird completely gives itself into the hands of the master it has just to sleep off it's the master's look out he will pull you out he will have the thorns he will bleed but he will pull you out but if the bird says oh maybe let me fly it looks back at its little home and wants to fly desperately because it's its instinct to escape then its thorns will prick the thorns will prick into its wings and then the bird will say you told me to fly see i am trying now and the thorns are pricking me so what will the master do because he loves he will pull us out in the process because we were not completely trusting here and there some thorns may prick but eventually we are freed from that strange predicament of uh, what we called as our comfort zone but which was actually a prison and a very dangerous prison so suffering is always a corrective it's not a punishment inflicted even when in our ignorance we feel so because one job that god doesn't indulge in is reward and punishment <laughs> he is not like our ceo who will he reward himself imagine if somebody you know has turned towards him with bhakti and adoration is he going to say ah wow great going because he is the one who has poured love into this creature now little love is spilling over and turning to him in bhakti is he going to congratulate himself all is himself in his state there is no other so you know this only when we take to the dualistic philosophy and extreme dualism that there is no way that god and man can meet and become one even in a sense that means there is no yoga only a religious belief system then we speak about reward and punishment because then he is the best highest noblest whatever we can conceive and this field is all darkness so there are creatures in this darkness but the problem with that philosophy is how do you explain this darkness so people have come up with this uh, ingenious explanation some miss maya came and mismanaged the whole affair who allowed her to take over charge that's a different story or other people say no in the beginning he created everything wonderful man came in and he spoiled it who gave man this dushpravrti so this kind of a philosophy cannot sustain for long creation is moving forward human beings are evolving and they are going to discard it as you know we go further we have to go back to the original advaita and the original advaita is that there is nothing else but god so he is playing with this creation his own parts which are fallen into that state of darkness because they had to be uh, nurtured and nourished initially like the seed which he had cast into the womb of darkness so that it can grow into a tree and then when the time comes quietly even then when the seed was in darkness it was watering it 
and then its cover breaks and then the seed is attracted to the light still journeying in the darkness then one day it bursts forth and then it sees who was the one who was standing the gardener so that is the original advaita and that's the only way we can really understand uh, suffering and creation in entirety we don't have to bring in Uh, karma theory in the way it is understood there is something called as consequences but that's what i was saying when we deviate from the divine will karma is action is much later it is the will when we accept this will that suggestion and accept it as if it is our own will that's our only role then our thoughts feelings eventually actions run in that direction so what does suffering do it is a course corrective so it is consequence only in terms of it's an evolutionary process it is inbuilt within the evolutionary ecosystem of creation to help us constantly keep to the goal okay any other question doctor can i ask yes yes please yeah so for me i haven't read so much of any books or anything it's quite a new thing for me i mean just hearing you lectures i want to understand that i like at a certain age of 45 i'm not yet able to find the goal itself forget about yes. alignment yes. so uh, i yeah. i'm at a stage where i'm not able to i i don't know and it's it's a very miserable feeling, feeling right now you know it's taking me a lot of courage to even speak this thing here out because mm, i feel miserable day in and out yes Yes I saw the question and first of all I congratulate you that you have the courage to speak in my uh, in my uh, you know um, with so many people I relate and connect and in my experience with humanity let me tell you that you are not alone and if at 45 you are feeling the need of a goal you are among the great fortunate ones let me tell you that I know people, most people who at eighty, eighty-five, ninety. If you tell them goal, the word they don't understand. And most people, if you ask them goal, they will say. And I'm talking of people who are apparently very well informed, educated, everything, who have made it a big thing in life. But yet, if you ask them goal, they will come back to you know family and uh, money and you know leading a comfortable life, maybe being happy. That's all. so i would rather say that instead of being miserable be very very happy it's a grace that at this point you know that you know there should be a goal and i'm talking of people even who when live in an ashram all their life and you ask them what is the goal they will just uh, mumble something because they picked up something you are lucky you have not read much so there are people who have read something so they will immediately speak of that oh goal is to find the divine so ask them what is the divine now because they have never really given any deeper reflection on the goal so it's excellent that at 45 is the time of transition most people this is the age when most people start thinking that's why in indian system you had the four varna ashramas during grahastha when you have lived a life now one wonders is this the end is my family child is going to be the end of life there has to be something more something greater and so this is most people unless one is really previous lives readiness then it's different there are some people who are very conscious where even as a child 5 year old 7 year old rarely but who will say that you know they are clear of a purpose but in most human beings it takes around this time so it's perfectly perfectly natural but now that you know one is aware of what a goal should be then instead of being miserable start searching for it 
and the where where to find it is inside the heart see what deep inside moves you to the core every one of us has a core which moves us deeply that core will take the form of a image or it will take the form of a word an idea most of the time when you start entering the core because we are mentalized beings it will take the form of flash is the form of a idea my core is love my core is truth i want to know truth doesn't matter that core pick up that core and then let that core expand and become the whole life so find the core of life what moves you take it to its ultimate source and origin and you will discover the divine so this is what i would suggest and then of course read mother and shobindo read um, i mean swami vivekananda many of these books which are so wonderful which you know inspire us awaken us to the goal of life but broadly we can say that there are two kinds of goals which we can have one which are temporary and transient so to say that i am living for my family i am living for my child i am living for money it's perishable goods that means this goal will carry nothing nothing of this that's why in even this uh, there is a line lineage of saint this stage is required in evolution when we understand that all this will end in disillusionment and then there are goals which are permanent stable which we carry through life for instance if my goal is divine this i am bound to carry because the divine by his very nature is imperishable immortal eternal so if i have sought the divine in my life this is going to add up in my next life but if i have sought only family and children only some bit of that experience will go maybe the experience that it was not worth anything much which is a great waste but if i have sought the divine every little aspiration even if it doesn't get fulfilled in this life is something which is permanent so instead of having transient temporary goals keep a goal which is permanent which would be divine now whichever way we understand the divine define is a different matter but the only permanent eternal immortal basis of existence as we understand through the those who have gone ahead of us is the divine there is of course the other doctrine that there is nothing permanent which is a absurdity in its own right and i don't want to go into that but they will say well goal is just enjoy eat drink and be merry let them eat drink and be merry till while eating and drinking they are <laughs> down under it's okay it's it's a life <laughs> their life nobody is to convert anyone but um, there a lot of people live like that they say charvak there is no stable basis it's a it's it's a logical impossibility but let them live they are not ready for that they will come maybe after few lives as i said right now the divine has not even looked towards them a day comes when suddenly through a door of suffering one begins to seek something higher so it's much better to be miserable knowing that i don't have a goal than to actually face suffering and start wondering what is life about and then through a roundabout way you know find the goal so contemplate the divine has taken us this far he will surely show us the goal if we trust him that you have brought me to this point where you make me think about the goal show me my goal and he will do it most happily he'll do it yes sunday i'll hotel some good books um that you recommend from from where deep is coming and i am coming um if you don't know where to start where do you recommend reading books which books would you recommend so the book will depend upon the seeking but uh, you know if the seeking is to know about all that you know we have been speaking about mother and shirbindo's yoga 
and you know the goal that they have spoken about uh, then i would normally recommend two things one is the mother's writings uh, volume 1 volume 3 volume 1 is prayers and meditations which are excellent volume 1 volume 3 gives us a broad outline of the yoga the goal the path everything and a lot of things about life and then one can go along with 4 5 6 7 8 8 onwards volume 8 onwards we see a shift because he starts giving more and more emphasis on the transformation so volume 8 9 10 11 15 go in that category then along with that for sure bindo let us on yoga because they are very direct simple straight so we have volumes of these letters and they are all available free of cost on the ashram website so their soft copies are available if you want say hard copy then one has to write to shabda and uh, you know uh, place the order so uh, shurbindo's letters on yoga again the road map the entire uh, geography history <laughs> human kind uh, how to proceed how to begin where to reach all the challenges of the way the difficulties the obstacles the cosmic forces everything is there then of course if somebody is more philosophical oriented wants to understand the philosophical nature uh, behind it one is you know very well read about dvaita vad advaita vad visishta dvaita vad this tantra that then read the life divine uh, you know bertrand russell is also there and you know uh, shankaracharya is also there so then but that is more like you know we want to mentally understand the whole path but those who want to walk read the synthesis of yoga other than letters on yoga letters on yoga are complete along with mother's writings but the synthesis of yoga will tell us about the theory behind the practice life divine will tell us the theory behind the cosmos it's like the cosmos uh, uh, genesis uh, of shirobindo the metaphysics and synthesis of yoga will tell us the basic principles behind the practice and of course it'll give lot of practical hints and finally the penalty made which shirobindo himself said I mean, read everything if one can. I proceed like that. <laughs> But if one wants to finally take the ultimate plunge and has a little bit of twist in the heart, which has a little love for poetry, then plunge into Savitri. That is the ultimate. So Savitri in itself is complete. But it needs a little twist in the heart. This, uh, you know, that sensitivity to poetry because it's in the form of the highest poetry. but at the same time it's not difficult poetry let me tell you that it's very simple direct whatever shubhendra has seen and its context can be known there are so many uh, books written on that there are so many uh, talks on that i have myself been you know um, speaking about savitri so savitri if one takes up and if one is taken up by savitri then actually one needs nothing else and if one doesn't want to read books uh, well it's still simpler turn to the mother call her all that we need to know is one letter and that is ma and if one takes to that letter and all its all that it contains within itself then books can be dispensed with but yes reading book adds to the journey makes it easier simpler smoother makes us know because as mental beings we want to know what are the landscapes how to proceed but the core of this yoga is ma so there is a beautiful little book written by shurbindo on the mother it is a set of six letters and then there are letters on the mother uh, please read that book shurbindo on the mother and letters on the mother so these are and if you want to know about his life shurbindo on himself there are some other good books uh, like rishab chand's book but shurbindo on himself gives a sketch of his life so these are some of the books that i would recommend 
and if you want to know more you may have missed out uh, please feel free to write and i'll be happy to uh, let you know more about it yes uh, alok ji i'm uh, chitra and yes, i chitra. wanted to i don't know whether i want to ask a question or i need some clarification mm-hmm. uh, i'm finding uh, over a period of many years uh, again due to problems in life that one uh, i started reading the gita etc and have i'm still studying the gita i've studied it many times with more clarification each time so mm-hmm. i don't know whether it's a transformation but i i i realize that uh, each of us are placed in life exactly where we should be and mm-hmm. as you said any suffering which comes comes with a purpose it's only that one realizes it later that it led me to a certain direction mm-hmm. and i am also realizing that one is aware of a lot of things um, you know sometimes you see something or you hear something and something touches you very deeply inside mm. it's a very it's a very beautiful feeling a very deep and yes a very yes. pleasant and very deep feeling mm. <laughs> my question is very funny is that a very small degree of transformation and understanding that understanding of the divine everywhere yes i don't know yeah beautiful uh, just a few things uh, to start with the yoga of the gita is a very solid foundation for this yoga of course reading is one part practicing practicing the yoga of the gita builds a very strong foundation some of the things that i was mentioning in the beginning were related to the yoga of the gita as many would have actually known uh, the second aspect is with regard to the law of circumstances the outer circumstances as you said that we are where we should be it is not necessarily true because you know we are in the field of ignorance and when we are at a certain level of development we are at one place but as our consciousness grows the field may shift and sometimes it does shift and this shift can be radical in the case of buddha shurbindo we see that the field shift shifted completely shri krishna lord rama the field shifts because you know the demand that purpose which is growing within that precipitates even in outer circumstances this is the second part so acceptance is good of life as it is but also along with that a will to change things for better and more beauty more harmony the third aspect about the feeling of the divine presence within and everywhere certainly it is the ground on which all else has to be built but this is not normally called as a transformation but it's a experience on the basis of which transformation will start so this is a core experience something where one comes closer to the psychic being but as this experience starts trickling into our thoughts life feeling for instance one of the things that will happen as a consequence of this is that one will become incapable of suffering now when one is incapable of suffering then we say that well this is a transformation that the vital is no more having those cravings or desires which bring suffering the mind automatically begins to turn towards beauty and light and truth then we use the word that there is a transformation even in the physical level it can help or it leads to the birth of bhakti surrender faith in the divine then again this is part of the transformation so transformation itself has many steps and stages transformation is in the field of nature whereas realization and experience is within in the purusha aspect the soul within and uh, there this when the speaks of the triple transformation first is about the psychic the soul within the divine presence within behind the soul that steps out and our mind 
feelings, will, body itself, they all start taking a different turn. They are oriented to the light and the right. And therefore, even our outer life begins to be so oriented. Then there is a spiritual transformation where we open to ranges above the mind. And so there is an inpourings of knowledge, a greater love, a vaster and deeper consciousness, a high, higher levels of unconsciousness, beauty, harmony, light, order, peace, bliss, they begin to descend into our mind, life and heart and body, breaking the boundaries of the narrow ego boundaries uh, and the boundaries of ignorance and are being expands into the cosmic consciousness. And then beyond it, there is the uh, final supramental transformation. When our being is prepared with these two, then supermind comes in, takes up the task of these and there is a rapid and swift uh, change in all these layers. The mind becomes a mind of plenarily, plenary supramental knowledge where there is no scope of any error. Even intuitive mind where there is no error will show us only a part. But it is an all-comprehensive knowledge. All-comprehending, all-apprehending and all-representing knowledge in the supramental. When the supermind touches the heart, then heart is completely freed of all touches of what we can call normally as human emotions and the entire human emotions become filled with divine love and sweetness. Whichever direction and with whomever we uh, relate, it is that divine love that divine sweetness which relates. The life touched by the supramental consciousness becomes a life of luminous force, inexhaustible luminous force and the body touched by the supramental consciousness will eventually escape the law of disease, decay and death. So this about the transformation in short. Thank you. The road, the road ahead is long and weary. Yes, yes. And that's beautiful. See, I, I you know what? Some people, um, some people get... Uh, bit worried about you know the long road I look at it oh good we have a good journey what is the point of you know like short road is like a swimming pool I plunged here and got out here that's what you know as human beings we tend to choose but when you have a sea to cross wow but we should not forget that you know we cross this sea sea not with our own effort of our arms but on the ship of the divine mother's grace and with her grace and love carrying us I can assure and I am sure you must be aware that the journey is tremendously wonderful. In fact, at some point you wish, oh, it's so nice, she's carrying us. Who cares for identifying, becoming one? Mother carry us on this journey. Doesn't matter how many lives and, you know, it, it seems uh, the longer the road, it appears short because the more you identify with her, you become one with her, then the joy of that love is <laughs> changes into joy of oneness. Bhaktas know this. So, let it be roll. In any case, it is long for everybody. It's just that people don't know. They think the bend is the end. But at some point, when we reach the bend, we'll have to discover that it's not the end, but just a little, another turn that we have to take. So, it's good to know that. Thank you, Alokji. Yes, thank you. Alokda, can I ask one question also? Yes. Ira here. Uh, I, most of the times one is able to uh, be in contact with the mother. She's there back of the mind and you know, you feel, you feel her, whatever you're doing, you feel her. Yes. But there are times when one loses contact and uh, that really becomes irksome because uh, you not, you know, you want, you like it. Yeah, yeah, very true. <laughs> it's a great inner suffering for somebody who has realized the psychic 
and the divine mother's presence inside it's a great suffering to lose contact with her and it's very difficult to explain it to anybody because outer life is everything is fine no no i understand i i mean i completely relate with what you are saying i know this everybody has to go through that phase if you don't come in contact you don't know what you are missing but it's like somebody who has seen the splendor of the sun and then you know one, one has to go back to the darkness and live with candlelight you can't be satisfied so this contact with the divine mother even one moment of it can be a life changing experience i know it very well but at the same time it takes time we have to understand because there are many aspects of nature which have to be worked out so there will be many moments and we have to understand that why do we lose the contact it's simply because a field of nature in which we had not worked the consciousness has descended that's why not because the contact is lost from her side whatever is gained in yoga remains but now we have the inner contact first he says mind higher vital emotions it's easy to keep the contact there the moment the sadhana descends into the lower vital and the physical and the subconscious we lose contact because the nature of these parts but we must always remember keep the faith endure through the process keep aspiring and a day will come when even these parts are modified now when that happens the contact itself becomes of a very different quality so we have to take it like that that each fall uh, you know he makes our fall a means to greater rise so that is how the sadhana proceeds yoga proceeds especially when one falls the, into the subconscious nature surface nature but that means the working will go on all these parts entire field so in yoga of transformation this is bound to happen till the final irrevocable transformation so one has to be prepared and ready for that yeah so keep the faith and um, the flame of aspiration and keep marching ahead yeah so thank you i think uh, we can close james